where we kind of see and, and where we want to move towards is to have a group of influencers or kind of loyal followers that talk about our products in a very genuine way. So we've also seen a lot of people unfollowing influencers that are just selling because it's not real. It's not true. You know that it's just um, being paid for. So I think that is also going to slowly disappear. It needs to really be genuine content. Hello, hello. This is your host, Dyutama, and welcome to My Food Lens Podcast, where we talk about everything from food photography, styling, to business and mindset. After 15 years as an architect, I switched careers and I'm now a professional food stylist and food photographer based in Singapore. I'm also the founder of the business My Food Lens, where we help clients elevate their brand through drool-worthy photos. My motto is, put your best food forward. Well, here on this podcast, I promise to keep it raw and real and hope you find your answers, action and inspiration as we move through the episodes. Hi guys, today we are talking to Catherine Braha. Catherine is one of my clients. It's interesting, right? <laughs> well, I've been photographing for her brand and all the other brands that fall under that umbrella for all, over two years now. So I've known Catherine personally. She's been my client, but also I've really seen their brand inside out. I know their vision and I understand what they stand for. And Catherine has a very interesting background. She's actually a graduate from Cornell. And then I think she moved to Bangkok, where she was the brand ambassador for the body shop. How fun is that? And then she went on to open her own French bistro. She co-founded a French bistro. It was called Cafe Tartine, and it was in Bangkok. It was way back in 2007. But in 2011... Catherine joined her brother and her father, and she was one of the co-owners of Salad Stock, which is a huge salad chain, not just in Singapore, but they have branches in Indonesia, Japan, Hong Kong. And she is today the chief brand officer. I work closely with her during my photo shoots. And the reason why I wanted her on this podcast was out of so many people that I have known, Catherine is one woman who really walks the talk. She is someone who brings her personality to her brand. So she is a vegan. She's been a vegan for 24 years. And then she runs the salad chain, which is all about healthy eating. And she herself is very environment friendly. And so her brand stands for sustainability. So she's a person who really brings her beliefs and values to her business. And I thought she would be the perfect person to have a very genuine and honest conversation about influencer marketing. Because over the last two years, when F&B was being so crazily impacted by COVID, I saw Catherine make some really bold moves for her business. And influencer marketing was definitely one of those moves. And I know that there are so many of us who are content creators. We partner with brands. We collaborate with brands. and so. Having a client's perspective on influencer marketing, you know, how to market ourselves, what, how to pitch ourselves, I thought this would bring 
such a fresh perspective to the topic if I brought someone like Catherine in, in for this discussion. So I can't wait to have this energetic conversation. And I think it'll be really, really interesting. So let's get started. Hi, Catherine, and welcome to My Food Lens podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm so excited. And that's because I worked with you for a really long time. I worked with Salad Stop as your food photographer for, I think, over two years now. So it's just so exciting to have you on the other side today. <laughs> and I think it's even more special because of what we are going to talk about. I mean, in my capacity as a food photographer working with you, the owner of Salad Stop, which is like such a prestigious, such a popular salad chain, creating collateral for your different franchisees. I actually witnessed a change in you in the last two years. And I've never seen anyone work like that before. I mean, as we created photos, I could see that while other F&B businesses were getting impacted by COVID, you just went head on and you were recreating, you were innovating, you were just making such bold moves that I just had to have you on my podcast because this is something that is so relevant to everybody who's out in the world today. Social media marketing has taken over everything. Most of our audience, either an influencer, a content creator, they want to be an influencer, or they are an F&B brand, or they are a food product brand. So having your input today, you know, from a client's perspective, from the other side, I think it's going to be such a power-packed episode, and you can sense the excitement in my voice. <laughs> so I'll stop talking. <laughs> And I will let you introduce yourself, if you can tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. So Salisop was founded in 2009. It's a family business. So it started by my dad and my brother. I joined a year later. So I've been part of the company for 10 years now. I'm the chief brand officer. So I take care of all, obviously, the marketing side of the brand as well. We've just introduced another three brands, Wushi, Havel, and Good Food People in the last two to three years. And we are currently in eight markets with Salah Stop only and looking to expand the other brands in the other markets also. That's a little bit of the background for myself. I grew up in Asia. This is home for us. My whole family is here. And that's also one of the reasons why we, we started the company here in Singapore. Um, my parents have been here for over 20 years. So we feel this is our home. Wow. And just to let all our audience know, your full name is Catherine Braha. Am I saying it correct? Yes, correct. Okay, perfect. Definitely more Singaporean than me. <laughs> <laughs> You've been connected to F&B for such a long time, right? And I don't know if you know or if I ever mentioned to you, but I've mentioned you on my other podcast episodes. There was an episode that we did on branding and I totally gave your example because Salad Stop is so much about healthy eating and there were so many cool products that we photographed that were vegan products and you were introducing them to the Singapore market. And while I was talking about branding, I talked about you being a vegan yourself for 24 years. So you yourself are the brand. You are yourself, your values and everything always align with the brand that you own and you work with. Right. So I think that is very important because I think that will really tie back into the whole marketing because that's what we fall back. Our values and our foundation for our business is what determines, right? So I just wanted to let our audience know that's the powerful <laughs> episode that we're going to have moving forward. Like, yes. you know. Yeah, I think that's also a really um, very important point 
um, because obviously it's kind of the direction the company has taken as well. I think when we first started SaaS up, obviously we couldn't go in 100% plan-based, also not um, 100% sustainable in our packaging because just at that time, we had only a few outlets. We didn't have the economies of scale. We were not able to afford more expensive packaging because 10 years ago, obviously, all the biodegradable packaging was extremely expensive. We also were not able to target a wide audience if we would have gone plant-based, would have never been successful. So I think this is really where we see where we had our own beliefs and we wanted to go a certain direction. We wanted to implement a few things, but the market was not ready for that just yet. And we were also not at our full strength to be able to implement those changes. And throughout the years, we've been able to move more and more in that direction. And today we are we have a totally plan-based marketplace and we are 90% plan-based at Salastop. And obviously sustainability has always been at the forefront of the business, but now we're able to connect with many more partners and we're able to actually make a difference because we are in so many countries, we have that many outlets. So we can see that finally we're making an impact, which is fantastic. That's fabulous. And so Catherine, tell us, you've moved forward a lot with your business and especially I think you didn't take COVID as something, as a constraint. You actually built on whatever the market needed at that time and you've moved forward kind of in that direction. Like what were the challenges? Like how did COVID impact your business? So obviously during COVID, we had much less foot traffic in store. And because we're mostly located in CBD locations in Singapore, that impacted us a lot. We saw a huge shift, which I think all F&B um, went through is the shift from offline to online. We were well prepared because we had already built our own pre-order app. We had obviously very close partnerships, also party delivery companies. So for that, for us, we just felt that we needed to push more on those platforms. We had to get the team ready on the ground to move more to kind of this online service, getting all the tablets sorted out and outlets, even I'm going into island-wide delivery, so working with Lala Move as a partner. So there were kind of a few changes, but in terms of tech and the online world, we're already quite strong coming in. We saw that there were opportunities of going more to family bundles because we obviously everybody was working from home at that time, especially at the beginning when we had a full lockdown. So how to get families involved with a few brands, we added in fun kits for kids. We had kind of the whole table set up where you could just order bits and pieces from different concepts and have a full-blown dinner already made for you. Then also moving, obviously, into a model that is more cloud kitchen. So having all three brands under one roof made a lot of sense. Less foot traffic into the outlets, everything just going through online, pushing on that. 90% of our business in cloud kitchens are online. So that was another opportunity. And obviously, seeing that everybody was moving to online groceries. And this is where it was not in line with kind of our initial business strategy. We were more focused on developing these other brands, working on expanding salad stock in other countries. But we thought we do have an opportunity to put our product or our raw product onto a platform. So that's how it all started. So at the beginning, it was the cakes, everything that was in the grab-and-go fridge, all our veggies, our fruits, because we had very competitive pricing for that. And that model in the last two years has changed because we've seen the introduction of a lot of plant-based proteins coming into the market and a lot of people trying to shift to a more plant-based diet. 
we thought, let's go 100% plant-based on this platform and work with these new suppliers coming into the markets that don't have a platform to talk about their new brand. And obviously, they don't want to just get lost in another supermarket where they just get on the shelf. And Good Food People for us is really a platform where we want to communicate messages, communicate recipes, how you can cook the product. So it's not just selling because a lot of people also don't know how to handle these products. It's very new. And then also using this platform as a catalyst to get new players in. So maybe somebody that has a small centered kitchen that, again, cannot work with very high margins, so can't give that commission to a platform like Red Mart or Supermarket, they would come on board with us and we would push them out. So it's really how to form kind of that community and how to get local brands and, you know, having this very kind of small batches homemade feel to it. So this is something that we've really just created because of the situation, because of COVID. We have come out of it a lot stronger. Uh, We feel just because so much focus was put on tech and we've always wanted to grow that front of the business. And next this year and next year, we're looking at having a whole full-fledged tech team in-house. So that's just kind of accelerated the process. So COVID has accelerated that process for us and kind of put tech and the online world on steroids. An online presence was obviously your strength to begin yes. with as well. Yes. So you so you yes. just kept on and there was no better time to do it than COVID exactly. when everything was in lockdown. At what point did like social media marketing become one of your strategies? Was it one of your top strategies? So the kind of removing COVID from this discussion, just looking maybe five years ago, we saw that there was fairly good engagement on social media at that time. We had customers being responsive to certain promotions we were pushing out, certain campaigns that were running. And over the years, this has definitely gone down. And I think it's just because there's just too much online. So I know a lot of fashion brands, uh, retail, food and beverage have totally removed themselves from social media because they say we put so much effort into the content, into the posts, into the campaigns. There's a whole team behind it. And you realize you get 100 likes, 100 views, and no one engages with it. So I think we've kind of looked at now the strategy very differently to say, is that what we want to put our focus on? So during COVID, we started looking at ads and pushing that out. Once again, I think because of the situation, because of COVID, everybody was doing the same. So the numbers were not that great. We didn't get a great ROI. And I do feel there's a very big shift, especially in F&B, to not to just sell a product, but to sell a lifestyle. And I think this is where we're moving away, I guess, from the traditional social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, to something that's more real, right? You want to make it feel like this is part of someone's lifestyle. And I guess this is where the influences come in. So me, as an audience... That's exactly how I, whether it was the ads that were showing up on social media for Salad Stop or for any of your other brands, the way it was being showcased, it was definitely a lifestyle. I can now, I can completely relate to it. So tell me, by showing this change of lifestyle, what was the result that you were looking for as an F&B owner? What was the result that you were looking for by selling this idea of a lifestyle change? I would say, obviously, it's brand awareness. It's very difficult to calculate a very distinctive ROI 
on these kind of pushes. So for us, it's really looking at more than anything, the engagement. And I think, you know, we see that and how people comment in the comment section, but also the way that the influencer, the person speaking about the product can kind of articulate it and make it seem that it's kind of a daily need. It's not something that is kind of sold to the audience. And I think that's what kind of creates that lifestyle to see someone that is healthy, vibrant, sporty. So obviously all of those elements have to be part of that. And automatically you kind of understand that the food is what also is a big contributor to that, right? So I think it's it's really not a hard sell. That's basically what we've always focused on. Right. And so out of all your social media marketing, like what percentage would you say was influencer marketing? So we just started last year, end of last year and this whole year. So it's been about a year and two, three months. I would say about 5% to 10%. So still a lot of effort is on our social media platforms. Also, a big reason for that is that all of that content gets pushed out to our franchisees. So we still need to create a lot of that content. For the influencers, we're definitely looking at tapping into that a lot more for next year. But we're also looking at a way of analyzing the data we receive. It's just very difficult to track. Like obviously with Google Analytics, with ads, you know what you're going towards and you know what you want to reach. Whereas with this, with influencers, it's always that, that very blurry line of saying, okay, yes, it's brand awareness, but what am I really getting out of this? And when you do add in the cost, it ends up still being expected. Even if you don't pay the influencer, it's still the food, it's labor costs, it's transport. It's the team on the ground that is doing the back and forth because it's a lot of organizing as well. That's where also, you know, when we are doing the marketing reports at the end of the month is really how do we now start looking at this on a business level, looking at ROI, looking at really what are the main objectives. So that's what we're really currently working on. But definitely, I would say that we're looking at engaging or having this part of our whole marketing strategy at about 20 to 30% next year. So we will be working and we will be testing a few things out. Is it better for us to go with influencers? Is it better to, for us to go with bloggers? So this is, again, that's kind of the field. Or is it really just going with our loyal customers? So that's another whole base that we haven't explored, right? Because our customers are our influencers. So again, it's the question is, how, how do you define an influencer? Is it by the number of followers? Is it about the engagement to the post? I mean, we do see our customers as our biggest influencers. That's so interesting. And I think that's so real because you're showing a lifestyle change and who else is better than showing real people and real lifestyle change? So that is so exactly. interesting. So this is perfect. This is such a perfect segue to my next question, which is really about how you work with influencers and what you look for. So I can kind of understand what you might be looking for moving forward. But so far, like, what do you look for before getting an influencer on board? What's your criteria? It will vary for each brand, but you know, we have the most experience with salad stock. It would have to be someone that obviously believes in health and is healthy. And I would say sporty would be one of the criterias. Someone that wants to become healthy. So it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that is eating 
vegetables and salads, but somebody that wants to start on that journey. And obviously sustainability, our whole Eat Wide Awake movement is really something that we've pushed a lot. And because we have this climate positive campaign where you can offset your meal and we calculated the carbon footprint of all our ingredients, we were really looking at influencers that communicate that message because it's not a very easy message to communicate. So I would say sustainability has always been a very big part. For Hebo and for Bushi, I mean, for Bushi, the target audience is a little bit younger. So at some point we were going with younger influencers that had that reach for kind of university school students. And then for Hebo, fairly similar to Salad Stop, just a little bit more focused on trainers, gyms, fitness centers, and getting a lot of those influencers to talk about it because it's heavier in protein. If we had to talk about your selection, like, who qualifies for you as an influencer? Like, do you look at the number of likes, number of followers, engagement? So in terms of numbers, how does the influencer qualify to work with you? So for us, the last year, we've never paid for influencers. And so we have only gone for, so if you're looking at the influencers with more followers, with a large amount of followers, we would just be able to get them on board if they were passionate about the subject. Right. So if we were introducing plant based and they're vegan and they want to talk about that message, then Fantastic would take it on. And that's when we would get the best content. And same applies for, I would say, sustainability. For the rest, it's very hard to get because then it becomes, oh, we're doing it for many other FB brands and we want to get paid for it. But when it's really a subject that is dear to them and they want to share that, then we can tap onto that. For that, it's been very successful. Then we normally don't go for high numbers of followers because, as I said, that kind of comes with a cost and also doesn't necessarily come across as being very natural. It then is is a little bit more kind of that selling pitch, which we're also not looking for. So what we've tested in the last six months, we've worked with nano influencers Again, really just looking at the way that they introduce products, they talk about the product, the way that they communicate. I think it's how it's pushed across to their audience. And then how we would recontact or or keep them on our list of kind of good influences would be if they got that engagement and if they got their audience to actually respond to the message. So I think those are really the two big things that we look at. The communication, the way it's put across and how then their audience would engage with that. So the messaging of an influencer and what they stand for is very important for you more than numbers. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. So tell me, how how do you usually go about, like, let's say you have a campaign. Do you come up with a campaign first and then you see, oh, who would be a good fit to talk about it? Or do you have these very passionate people, influencers who are there and you're like, okay, let's create something and tap onto their passion Mm -hmm. for the same subject. How does it work? That's actually a very interesting point. I never thought of switching around to look at influencers and then base a campaign off of that. So that's something new. And I took note of that because I think that could be really interesting. But normally we do look at influencers after we've created a campaign. If now an example would be for the climate positive campaign, we would be looking at influences that are not just sustainable themselves, but might be part of a project 
that has to do with reforestation or that really understands a little bit more on the subject specifically. And then we'll contact them or if it's a plant-based, so if we're relaunching Good Food People in January, we would be looking at very passionate plant-based influencers to help us launch and to say, you know, come to the platform. There's a lot of plant-based options here with recipes and, and all of that. So it's always been for us. We do the campaign and then we'll have a team in-house that will just basically go onto Instagram and put in the, the hashtags or the keywords and then just list out the people and start contacting. Wow. So it's very organic. And also real. So that makes it even more real. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Fabulous. I know you mentioned that you usually don't pay for influencer marketing and we yes. find passionate individuals who are willing to talk about the brand because they connect to it. But has there ever been a time where you have actually gone and allocated a budget for influencer marketing because that's how much we need it or that's how important it is at that time or that's how much the campaign needs influencer marketing? Has there ever been a budget allocated to it? I would say the budget would have been products. So, for example, we will say we'll give you a week of free salads or we will give you three months worth of good food people products. So that will be delivered on a monthly basis. So we've done it that way. We've never received, maybe we've received, but we've never kind of proved that there's a fee that's allocated to the number of, or the length of the post or the communication. So we've never done that. Now we might in the future, if we feel really that they would be worth in that, but for now, we just feel that we would want it to be a little bit more natural and coming really from people that care. And, and again, kind of starting to experiment next year. And definitely we will experiment with influencers that ask for a budget and we will push that out to see and to compare. I know that you said that you put out the hashtags and you find folks who are standing for the same cause. Have you ever gone back to the same influencer or a same set of influencers? Or do you usually like to just get new folks so that there's a wider reach? What's usually your uh, strategy? So definitely we've gone back to influencers. I mean, once we've kind of have our regular pool of influencers, normally they would always create fantastic content because already initially it was very real it captured the audience, they believe in the product and they're very happy to re-engage us and continue on that project. Because I think also for us, we feel a little shy at times to ask too many times as well, especially if we're not paying for it. But they're very happy to get to try the product, especially if we're launching a new seasonal, we'll send that over to them. And we have no obligations on our end. So if they don't want to post, that's absolutely fine. And most of them do post, end up posting. But it's they're just happy to, to get the products, to get to try something new. So I would say that currently we have about 30 influencers that we've reused and that, that are under that pool of, of our regulars. But that's amazing. I mean, 30 for Singapore is amazing. It's yeah. so interesting that you don't put out an expectation or a requirement from your side. Like have you never give out a list to influencers that you want a story or a post or you want them to talk about your product? Is that right? So we do always kind of give a brief and we explain what we send over, but it doesn't say precisely we need you to do one post and let's say on your feed and then one on, on stories. We don't 
put that down, no. And we've had a few influencers that didn't post it at all or influencers where we send product and they've committed to certain postings. And so we send a lot more than what we would usually do. And then they didn't post at all. So that has happened as well. Oh, wow. So yes. they are definitely on, not on your list anymore. Am I right? That's correct. <laughs> then, uh, yeah. then we would not engage them again. And have yeah. influencers ever reached out to you? Has it worked the other way around? Like have people reached out that, hey, I love your product and I would be happy to talk about it. And also here's my uh, social media kit or here's what my follower count is. Have people ever reached out to you? So it's interesting. For markets like Hong Kong, yes. Hmm. Markets like Philippine, Indonesia, absolutely. Because there's such a huge following for those right. markets on Instagram. They want to be seen on the Salesop page. Oh, wow. As a repost. So that's quite interesting. For Singapore, no, but indirectly, yes, where you would have an influencer going down to the outlet, for example, showing our reusable bowls, the collapsible ones, and saying, fantastic initiative, Salesop, well done. So happy to support you. And then obviously we repost that and then we get in touch with them. In that way, it's happened to us a few times. Oh, wow. So yeah. they just tag you and then you know that they are there and that's how the collaboration or the partnership. Exactly. Fabulous. Exactly. That's such a key point, especially for many of our content creators who are listening. You know, there's so many people who work with food brands and they often find themselves inhibited to kind of reach out and they don't know how to reach a particular brand. But just tagging and sending a message is just the easiest way and the fastest way to get to a brand. Is that right? Yes. And we already get a feel on how the post will be created, right? Because it's already there. It's already done. It's already the first one that's up on their feed. That's a great point. I think so for content creators or influencers, I think it's very important that when they do tag brands, then they put up a good quality post or a good quality image so that one can really see the potential of that partnership. Fabulous. So interesting. All right. So tell me a little bit about what are the challenges that you have when you work with influencers? I think the biggest challenge would be logistics. As I mentioned before, there's always a lot of kind of back and forth to get the timings right, to get the delivery time, the orders. They normally do add in a few more orders if there's family members at home. or So there's, logistically, there's a lot happening. Then where it gets tricky for us is if we've committed to a certain time, we deliver no one is at home. We obviously use our own transport and sometimes we use third parties like Lala Move that we work with. And that's when it gets a little challenging, especially that our food is extremely perishable and can't be kept. So then we would normally take the food back and have to push out another delivery. So I think that would be the biggest challenge. Apart from that, we haven't had challenges. We've never had influences that pushed out or communicated the wrong message. So we've never had that. That's so we've been fortunate yeah. enough mm. with that. And we've always had positive experiences. I mean, for sure, there's the ones that we've sent all the products, we've agreed on the postings and nothing has been posted. So that happens. But again, you know, it's maybe one out of 10 and it's not a big deal for us. So then we would just put these influences on a different list and that's it. But I would say really the biggest challenge for us is, is logistics and getting everything organized in-house getting it down to the ops team, because obviously the way that we send the food to influencers is different to our regular customers. So we'll have a little note inside. We'll have the details on the campaign or the details on the seasonal. So they can refer to that when they're talking about it online. 
the team on the ground needs to make sure that they know how to package it all together. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned that it's kind of hard to get a full gauge of the ROI on influencer marketing. Would you say that that is a challenge, like really measuring the results of this investment that you're making through food, labor, logistics? Yes. Do you think that would be another challenge yes. you would count as? I mean, absolutely. I think it's a challenge if you're really looking at ROI. If you're just happy to say it's brand awareness and it's just a budget that we put aside for marketing on a monthly basis, that's fine. Then you don't need to track it. I think the only way really to track is if, let's say, you give a coupon code that can be used on our pre-orders to the influencers and see how much of their audience actually uses that code and to see how much sale that's driven. But otherwise, if it's just looking at the number of new followers you've gotten on your social media platform or the engagement or the views, it never translates to sales. So it would be impossible to see during that influencer campaign period, there was a spike in sales because it would be Mm. so minimal. And again, there's so many other things happening concurrently, like deals on third-party deliveries, uh, promotions in store, promotions on our own pre-order, that we would never be able to separate those. And it's brand awareness is very different from sales. Yes. Measuring both is so different. So how, I know that because you've put influencer marketing as quite a primary strategy for next year, how would you measure it this year? Like, how would you say that it has changed the brand awareness, it has changed your branding or it has made a difference to your business. How are you measuring that? So we are measuring it by how many more followers we're getting on our platform. So customers that are seeing interest in that content and then saying, oh, actually, I'm I'm interested. I would like to know more about this brand and follow us. So that would be one. And also for us to see what kind of content we can repost on our platform. So that also cuts down a lot of our work. So if there's really good content there from influencers that we can post on mm. our own feed and Insta stories, that is just fantastic because it's also content that would be applicable to our own audience because they're normally people that are within that space anyways, the health space, the fitness space and sustainability. I think that's how we've seen it is is how much, you know, if it's going to be one post, two posts a week that we don't have to do on our end, we don't have to do the photography, we don't have to get the food into the office and handle all of that and the content and it's done for us. That's already a huge plus. I've actually seen your ads on Facebook and Instagram. They're these very bold videos and it has a messaging, but it is also fun and light. It obviously introduces either a new product or a new lifestyle. You know, I've seen all kinds of different ads that you've been working on through the year. Have you seen, especially with your new product, have you seen that there are more people interested or have you seen that conversion? Because you've launched so many new sustainable products Mm. this year, at least. Has the influencer marketing or those kind of videos or ads kind of given you an indication that, yes, people now know these new products that you've launched? So again, a little bit hard to really give a definite answer on this, I would say, yes, we feel that there was more brand awareness. It didn't lead to sales. We don't think. Unfortunately, the only thing that really leads to sales for us that we see that is a direct impact and it's very clear is promotions and discounts. That really, I mean, we push out an ad that's more of a lifestyle ad and we do give a call to action 
it's going to be very, very minimal. Okay. Very minimal. The yeah. moment you get free delivery, $1 delivery, 50% off, that's when you see the turnaround. So I think it's really at the moment still very much, and especially during these two years of COVID when everybody was pushing out promos, this is where the focus lies for at least the, the last two years, I would say, definitely. It looks like 2022 is really going to be a year where you go all in with influencer marketing. Yes. You're going to try everything, yes. see what yes. works, see what doesn't. So we know that the world will change next year. We know that we were very online and we were kind of constrained by borders closed. And, you know, so everybody was going digital, but things might change next year. It will be a little bit different from this year, which was a little bit different from last year because of COVID. Yeah. So, but do you think that influencer marketing will still hold a promising place in the whole marketing strategy? Because you are ready to invest all that time and effort in experimenting with it. What do you think? So I think, I mean, as we've seen, you know, a shift from the original platforms that we used, for example, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, that we've seen it's moved on to not just not following brands, but following people that you can associate with. And that's why we've also seen a lot of F&B and retail moving away from having their own brand on social media and just having inspiring people talk about their brand, mostly. So that's kind of the direction that we see it going for next year. So definitely, I think influencers and inspiring people will be the ones that are going to be at the forefront of all of this, of social media. Now, there is where we kind of see and, and where we want to move towards is to have a group of influencers or kind of loyal followers that talk about our products in a very genuine way. So we've also seen a lot of people unfollowing influencers that are just selling because it's not real. It's not true. You know that it's just um, being paid for. So I think that is also going to slowly disappear. It needs to really be genuine content. That's what we really look for. And I think for next year, we will be really focused on that. And that's also one of the reasons we don't want to be paying for it because right. it does in a way, come across as like, it's not really part of your lifestyle or it's really something that you're just putting out there because you've received it and you're getting paid for it. So I think that's how we see 2022 happening. And, and also one of the reasons we want to get our own loyal customers involved in this. And to see, I mean, it's again, what's the definition of an influencer? They can be our best influencers, even if they only have 500 followers, because those followers would really be passionate about that subject or be within the same space of right. health and fitness and all of that. This has been so, so insightful because I've always been on the other side of receiving products or receiving yes. you know, partnerships. So this is very, very insightful coming from you. I have one last question before we end the episode. And that is because there are so many content creators who are doing partnerships and collaborations with brands. What is the one advice you would give them? You know, what is the one thing that really strikes the chord for you when an influencer reaches out to you, when you have to work with an influencer? That one advice, what would it be? I would say be responsive. So when we write in, even if you're not interested, even if you have certain criteria, be open about it. And even if you're not interested, I think just respectfully answer and just respond to an email or DM or message. I think this is where we are 
kept hanging a few times, even after the interns have agreed to everything and suddenly we don't hear from them anymore. I really think that's the most important thing because it's absolutely fine not to be interested, right? But it's just to voice that out. And I think once you've agreed to it and once you receive the product and you have to talk about it, really to read through the brief, understand it. And if there's any questions, ask us and get back to us to just ensure that whatever you're pushing out, your audience is the correct information. And then when the product is being introduced, just to have that passion for the product and not just to say, oh, this is just another post I, I have to create. So I think those would be the three main points. And I think it's just so relatable to you, just because I've known you personally, just working with you, just the whole being passionate, standing for a cause. And then that just becomes the foundation of someone who's pitching themselves as an influencer. As long as you can stand for that one cause, you will be identified by brands and you will stand out for them, right? And then of course, exactly. staying committed to the what you your responsibilities are towards that brand. Okay, this is fabulous. I'm so happy. <laughs> this is such a wonderful episode. And I think you're really one of those people who walk the talk, whether it's sustainability, plant-based, or just always being committed to your cause. I think your brand shows it and you yourself as a person. And even this whole approach that you have towards influencer marketing, I think everything that you've shared with us today about being genuine, people being passionate, that people really believing in it, you know, in it, I think all of this ties back to how your brand has probably grown and how I have personally witnessed it. So this is very, very special. Thank you so much for being candid and honest with us. Oh, you thank know, Thank you so much. This is lovely. So a lot of our audience is also based in Singapore and they would love to know where they can look at new products, your franchisees, maybe your social media handles, if you can share that with us now. So we have a separate website for each brand. You can just visit the main website, which is Salasom Group, and that will lead you to all the individual websites and all the social media handles as well. So they're all there. If there's any interest, you can always just email us. There's a marketing email for all brands. We go through every single email. So we would love to also hear from your audience on what they feel. And then if they have suggestions, we would love to hear more as well. Fantastic. This is such, such a great episode. Thank you so much, Catherine, for making the time. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, thank you so for much. bringing such a fresh perspective to this podcast. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely lovely having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. So that was Catherine and she was amazing. Oh my God. I just love the conversation. You guys know that I stand for hard work and passion. And really, I can tell that there are so many of us who are like, oh, as influencers, we don't work for free product. But when we genuinely believe in a product, when we genuinely stand for a cause, there are times when we will want to talk about a certain product that, I, that we believe in. I do that all the time. And I completely got that vibe from speaking to Catherine. And that's why I wanted to bring her on board because she brings a very different perspective to influencer marketing. She makes us understand what works for brands and what they are looking for. And I think passion and standing for a cause and being genuine, being responsive, I think those are things that brands are definitely looking for. So if you are out as an influencer, if you are out there to partner and collaborate with brands, 
I think there are some really, really good tips that she has left us with. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please drop me a line. Let me know what were your best takeaways. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. I would so truly appreciate it. And if you're any other platform, please do subscribe and review. I would absolutely appreciate that too. With that, guys, I'll be back next week with yet another episode. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.